Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rest Easy, a show about navigating ambition, work, and rest in our busy lives. I'm your host, Jimena Venguechea. My guest today is Liana Fink. Liana is a cartoonist living in Brooklyn, New York. She's the author of three graphic novels, a memoir, and several collections of cartoons. You can find her cartoons in The New Yorker, and you can also read about her work in The New York Times and The New York Times Book Review. She is the recipient of a Fulbright Fellowship, a New York Foundation for the Arts Fellowship, and a 2023 Guggenheim Fellowship. She's even designed cover art for the one and only Ariana Grande. In other words, she's a badass. Oh, and she has a wildly popular Instagram account, at Liana Fink, which we'll link to in the show notes. In this conversation, we talk about her cartoons, which are deceptively simple. They're these simple line drawings that somehow manage to communicate a ton of emotion. She often tackles what it's like to be a mother and person in the world, and all of the small but grating gendered stuff that women in America deal with day in and day out. Her cartoons are funny, but also a little biting, which I love. I wanted to talk to her more about her creative work and what it means to find rest in a culture where women, frankly, aren't encouraged to take time for themselves and be still. So sit back, relax, and take a listen to my conversation with Liana Fink. We're going to talk a lot about rest, but I think in order to talk about rest, you also have to talk about work. In my experience, those two, whether we like it or not, go hand in hand. So I wanted to start a little bit with your work. I think part of what makes your work so striking is obviously the visual aspect, and we'll link in the show notes so that people can see what we're talking about. But also, there are certain themes that come up in your work around feelings and emotions, um, kind of everyday observations that are a little bit wry, a little bit cheeky. And, and there's something I think, sort of uncomfortably true about a lot of your work. There's one piece that I'm thinking of where it's a pie chart divided in two, and you call it division of household labor. Um, and then on one side, you say it's like 50% that says doing the household labor, and then 50% that says um, nagging partner to help, um, which yeah. felt like a personal attack, <laughs> and also like a personal like hug. You know, that's what I mean. It's like you have kind of these two parts to it where you go, ooh, like, yes, I feel seen and also frustrated at the same time somehow. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of these themes um, and what draws you to them. Yeah, I know that I need to make stuff. Um, I don't know why. It's just, it's very calming to me. But um, I don't know if I need to call out unfairnesses, but that seems to be what I've been doing for the past 10 years or so. And lately, I'm, I am the parent of a little kid and doing a lot of like household labor. So I'm exploring those topics. You have done a lot with your career. You've had your work in The New Yorker. Um, you've done cover art for Ariana Grande. You've written graphic novels, um, had some pretty major fellowships, um, and have a sizable following on Instagram. I think you have over half a million followers. Um, all very big career wins. And I think for anyone to succeed in that way, there has to be talent. There has to be um, probably some like 
good fortune and the right timing and privilege, but also a work ethic involved. How would you describe your work ethic? Um, I'm not very savvy, but I'm very driven. So I'll like choose something very sloppily and then I will just like push forward with it and never give it a rest. So I, I really admire people who think really hard about like what project they want to plunge into next and actually take some time. But I just, I like need to be occupied with something at all times. So I'll be like, oh, like here's an, I'll just write a book about a dog, whatever. And then I'll spend the next five years like spending all my free time on it. Are each of your major um, career hits, did those all start as sort of, I just need to be doing something. So like, let me just throw something together. Yeah, I think I plugged away at becoming a New Yorker cartoonist because those were the only like illustrated things I knew of when I was a young, like a kid. Um, And I thought like, okay, I'm going to do this. I didn't like explore the world of illustration and choose wisely. I was just like, it's got to be this. And I just plugged away at it. And with graphic novels, similarly, like I wasn't particularly a graphic novel person, but I was like, I was a drawing person and I definitely wasn't a fine art person. I am not good with materials. I'm not good with large scale and I don't take myself particularly seriously in a certain way. So um, I saw graphic novels and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm going to make one. And and then I just, like, my first graphic novel that didn't get published was that I made in college. I, we had a Robert Lowell book on our shelf, and I was like, okay, I'm obsessed with this poet. And then he had done a translation of this French play called Phedra, and I was like, I'm going to do my own translation of this play. There was oh, wow. no, like, absolutely no reason. I didn't love the play, <laughs> um, and I didn't explore why I loved Robert Lowell. So I did my own translation of the play, and I turned it into a graphic novel, and I didn't, like, think about what style I wanted mm-hmm. to use. I just used what I had for art class. I used, like, acrylic paint and, like, these... Um, rapidograph pens that my brother's friend's dad had given me (laughs) and it was very you could tell I put a lot of work into it but Mm -hmm. not oh it wasn't neat it was messy and it was funny it was very weird and very like overworked and like silly um it was this very serious play and I wasn't kind of being consciously silly it just kind of grew organically I've learned to be a little more conscious in decisions since then uh-huh. <laughs> it certainly sounds like there's a lot of focus right it's like even if you're even if you're kind of picking the book off the shelf where you just think okay on a whim I have this idea like you're seeing things through and in the examples that you've given me once you decide whether or not you feel you've been particularly strategic about deciding you put a lot of work in and you see it through yeah totally would you call yourself like a completionist like once you start something you tend to finish yeah. it yeah, less lately. I've kind of learned to be less of that and to be and to let things go if and to kind of follow my gut. Like if something feels painful and icky, like I've learned to trust that and take a step back and let it figure itself out or not. But that's come with maturity for me. Are you okay like stepping away from a project completely and abandoning it and saying, you know, it's not going to work out or is it more about just giving yourself a pause and then returning to it with a new perspective and still generally seeing it through. I want to say I can step away from a project, but I wouldn't 
do that if I'd had been paid for something, for mm, example. Sure. Like if I have a book deal, I will I will follow it through. But also like as you are more in the world, things come to you that you weren't expecting. And so when I was younger, I would have one project or two projects and just like like be a pit bull about finishing them. But now I'll have like 20 things going at a time and they're things I, I I didn't like search out for myself and I didn't choose for myself. So like someone will ask me to write a screenplay on spec and like see if I could get into TV and then I'll kind of put work into it. And then as screenplays do, it'll just like fall away. And, and I'm really proud that I don't kind of Mm. like latch onto that and not let go because that would take over my whole life and I wouldn't get to do something else. Yes. Sounds like it's like the potential for being pulled in many different directions is greater now that you have more and more opportunities coming your way. Yeah. I think I was a completionist just because I really needed to be working on something at all Mm -hmm. times. It wasn't because I cared so much that each project gets finished. Mm. So it sounds like your, your approach to work has certainly changed some over time. When you think about uh, your ambition or the idea of the ambition or your understanding of ambition, has that changed for you as well? I think, I don't know if I think, if I am ambitious, but I probably am. I used to really, really want to succeed when I was younger because I was lonely and I thought this was like a way to find a place in the world, like to feel to feel useful and also to feel um, appreciated. Mm-hmm. So I had a, a kind of skewed idea of what it meant. Oh, maybe the world has changed. Maybe I was right. But when I was younger, I thought like the only way to be an artist was to like have a really popular book or, or really like be really well known and otherwise um, you couldn't be an artist at all. And I think it really was more like that. I think it's much more gray now. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm part of the gray and maybe everyone who's an artist feels like part of the gray. And I'm so, so contented with it. Like I don't, I don't need like m- my book sales to be better. I feel so lucky that I get to make books and some people read them. And like when I'm lucky, people see my work on social media and I'm good surfing the gray. And, and I just hope I do really hope it continues. I hope I get to keep making a living this way. Um, And I'm sure if I stop making a living this way, I'll be more hungry and angry the way I was when I was younger. I think I am really ambitious in that, like, I think it can all fall away at any moment. Mm. So, like, I apply for things. I'm terrified if I don't sell a New Yorker cartoon for a month or something, I think it's all going to disappear and... And I well could. And like, so I live feeling that I'm on the edge. Some of what you're describing is sort of the precarious nature of just being self-employed and being creative. It's sort of like if you have a creative pursuit and you're kind of a business of one, for lack of a better word, like there are those ups and downs and yeah, you you either get used to it or or you don't. I mean, I don't know if you ever get used to it. Maybe some people do, but it does sort of feel like it's always looming in the background. It's that's not exactly ambitious, but it's like there's a lot of overlap with ambitious. Like you are thinking about your work all the time. You can't just go on vacation and be happy because you're worried. 
But I feel like ambition comes from like, like a more secure place somehow. Maybe. I don't know. Hi, friends. If you're enjoying these conversations about rest, I think you'll love my new book, Rest Easy. Discover calm and abundance through the radical power of rest. In it, I explore how we got to this place of chronic stress and overwhelm and what we can do about it. Getting the rest we need shouldn't be complicated, yet so many of us struggle with it. That's why the book is filled with rest practices for you to try and see what sticks and works for you. Head on over to jimenavenguachea.com slash rest dash easy, or you can pick up the book wherever books are sold. If we think about, let's say the opposite of a, a work ethic, which encompasses these things like, you know, your approach to work and, um, your ideas about ambition, um, the opposite being something we might call a rest ethic, which might feel at odds or at least in tension with our drive and our, you know, uh, sort of like inner need to, to create, um, produce, um, tell me about your relationship to rest. How would you describe it? I don't think about rest, although I like sleep and I want to get more of it, but (laughs) I do think about play and Mm. I think maybe they're similar. And I think I'm always wanting more of a play ethic. I think often I'll like take a step back metaphorically and realize that I've spent, that I haven't like done anything inefficient in the past year. And I'll realize that my cartoons have been terrible for the past year and I haven't been creative. I've just been kind of churning, like churning out things that I can do more efficiently on a deadline, like illustration projects or like redrawing a graphic novel to make it look good. And and like I haven't taken a day. I like to take a whole day every week and just kind of like let my mind wander and come up with ideas. And that's where good art comes from. And it's, for me, it's really uncomfortable. Like I hate not having my hands busy. It's really scary, but it's really important. Yeah. I relate to that. I mean, I think for me, that moment where I hand in, um, a manuscript, you know, and it's like in my editor's hands and I can step back is both thrilling and also a little bit nerve wracking because then it's like, what do I do with myself? I know. Then do you like try to do all the things that you've been putting off and then it gets exhausting, like see 20 friends? I feel like it's like life admin too. December for me was I saw all the doctors. But then, I I mean, I don't know if you get to this point. I get to a point where um, I sort of step back and realize that this is also the work, you know, the the resting part or playing or just having the space to not work on a specific project is a different kind of work. It's a different kind of input into yeah. this, this bigger creative process. But yeah. it somehow, at least for me, is a lesson that I have to keep learning over and over again. You know, there's always still a moment of panic before that, before I sort of accept and embrace that. Do you have any tricks you use to convince yourself that it's like nice yeah I mean I I think because uh I I just kind of remind myself that much of my work is autobiographical in some way even if I'm not telling my story it's like rooted in my perspective or something that I'm noticing about the world and so allowing myself to experience the world as like a human being is important um, and is going to open things up in the future it's sort of just like 
it's almost like a faith-based practice where it's like the things I'm doing now, even if I'm like binging a Netflix show or, you know, reading like a, a like romance novel or, or like really sort of like quote unquote silly things, like they're gonna, the magic is going to happen in its own way eventually. I don't know when, but you sort of just have to trust that like, eventually this thing that I'm doing now that like feels pretty good and relaxing, like something will come of this. Yeah. I'm going to try, I'm going to try to use those words with myself next time. (laughs) I always, I always like really like the first few days of not knowing and then it stretches on Mm. and then I kind of get stuck in it and I can't, I can't like, I, I want to say I can't rest. I'm like kind of spinning and I can't um, sink into something. In a way, like work feels like rest to me. It's mm. like meditation. It's like focus. I know what I do is like I'm calling it work. I don't know if it's work, but drawing is yeah like a nice way to focus. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because drawing is something that it does have this meditative quality. I think of it as like it's kind of mind wandering, but on paper, (laughs) you're just sort of like translating, you know, all these thoughts just visually. Um, And a lot of people do find it to be very calming um, and peaceful and grounding. Um, But it does get complicated when you take something that is for you, something that you do find ease in, and then monetize it, like no matter what it is, whether it's drawing or writing or podcasting or sculpture, like whatever it is, right? Anytime that you take your hobby and start to kind of overlay it with work, like those two circles of Venn diagram start to intersect, Mm -hmm. it can be a little bit harder to separate out the sort of joy and ease from the, oh my gosh, this is also a financial obligation in some way. Do you feel that tension? I do feel it, although, like, back when I drew as a hobby, like, I wasn't making money from it. I was so – I I wasn't yet making money from other things, so I was so, so worried. I mean, it was, like, college and right out of college. I was so worried about how I would make money that drawing wasn't fun. It was kind mm-hmm. of like I was trying to um, turn it into a thing – that would make me money. So it's much nicer to be making money from drawing than to be trying to make money from drawing. Yeah. Um, I guess I drew for fun when I was a kid, and that was nice. But but a, a thing that I do feel really intensely is, like, making art for an audience versus not making art for an audience. And that that's really tricky. Like, it's so – I think the point of – drawing for for me and for a lot of people and for making things is to communicate mm-hmm. and like it's a really social act on the other hand like at some point for me I'm like sharing my personal thoughts with strangers and it's really tricky and I, I wish I knew more people who did it because I think there is an etiquette to it and I'd like to know what it is I'd like <laughs> to know how to do it better Like that thing, the drawing you mentioned about the housework, like, I think my husband has probably seen it and it was directed at him and it was very mean. Um, And, and I'm very lucky to have this tool to express my anger about certain things because I don't have another tool for expressing it. I can't bring it up to him. Like I've tried, but, um, but this tool seems like a bit 
harsh. Mm, mm. Yeah. Like there's this, there's a sort of bluntness to it when you try and use it in that way. Yeah. Like I have this bludgeon and no one's telling me not to use it. And, and I don't, (laughs) and I just don't know like what the right way to use it is. And you obviously, you share pretty frequently on Instagram and you have this following. Has it become more stressful as that following has grown? Or is it sort of something that like, you're just kind of occasionally tuning back into, but it still is more easeful than stressful? I've been pulling back from Instagram a lot for the past couple of years. I'm having less interaction and I'm sharing less and it is more easeful. There was like a sweet spot where I felt like a lot of my followers were a very niche community who had a lot in common with me. And that was fun. And then at some point it was fun. It was also hard. It was hard. It was wonderful. I felt like that loneliness that I described where I I didn't feel like I was able to communicate was vindicated and I was communicating and people were listening. It was also weird. I got all these emails from people I didn't know who thought they knew me all the time. And then people who like, I like people who you do know, but you shouldn't be in touch with like a random person you hung out with when you were like five, Mm. like all of those people will write to you. And normally if that person wrote to you, you'd be like, oh my gosh, that's amazing that this person got back in touch. But if it's like five of them every week, it's like, stop, like, leave me alone. (laughs) I don't, I don't actually know you anymore. Um, that was hard. And then as I as I got more followers who didn't have much in common with me, that was weird too. And um you get you get a lot of offers, you get a lot of requests, and you don't really know how to filter them and you don't know what's what, and you make people angry who shouldn't even like you shouldn't have have any communication with certain people. Like there's no reason for you to for these people to see your brain and then they see it and then they're angry and then suddenly a random person is angry at you and thousands of random people are angry at you. And it's all very, like, you feel very, like, do you feel, do you feel like this from your work? Well, I was going to say what you're describing to me. I don't, I don't want to put words into your mouth. It sounds emotionally exhausting to me, like what you're describing. Like I would feel emotionally exhausted by that sense of like. It's exhausting. Yeah. But I think it's, I don't think this is like fame. I think this is internet fame Mm. like I don't think of myself as someone who was ever that sick like that level successful it was this weird fault it was like being successful in a video game or something (laughs) Mm -hmm, it was mm -hmm. really weird and I I always wonder like do writers feel this from their books like I definitely don't feel this from my books but like I I always wonder it like how niche this is I think it probably depends on what people are writing about too. But yeah, I mean, I think anytime you put yourself out there, whatever format, whatever medium, uh, you are, I think, both trying to express yourself and connect with people. And that's like beautiful. But then you also open yourself up to people not liking what they see, which can feel like, oh, they don't like me, you know, like, it can be hard to separate those feelings out when you have those moments of this sort of exhaustion, um, do you have recovery techniques? Do you have things that you do for yourself to kind of restore yourself? I mean, I like had a baby and went off Instagram. <laughs> that felt like that felt like my way of doing that. <laughs> I wish I had a better way. <laughs> it's pretty involved and expensive. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I suppose there might be a limit on how many times you you can use that specific technique for these moments. (laughs) (laughs) But like, also, I really miss Instagram. I miss Mm. like, it really was kind of the essence of making art. I didn't have to put any work into these drawings. They're really, really simple drawings. They were just idea drawings, and I got immediate interaction from them. Yeah. And that was really gratifying and, and made me feel like I was always like coming up with ideas and always drawing without having to, um, to labor. And mm. I really miss that. I've become a much quieter artist. And honestly, I'm not sure if I spend enough time making my art anymore. I think like feeling that there are people who care about your work is a really good motivator to make you work more. Well, you've also had a, a lot of changes. Any any parent knows how you know having a child can can change things. And I remember yeah. I read a little bit about your creative routine pre having a child, and it sounded like so idyllic and lovely, where you were doing things like taking the train to Coney Island and you know going for walks and totally hanging out in cafes. And there was one quote I wanted to share with you. You said, uh, "My ideal vacation is a working vacation." This was like five years ago. And now I think like, <laughs> so I, I wanted to <laughs> wanted to hear your thoughts on like, having a child is such a milestone for anyone, but specifically in the context of our conversation around work and rest um, and, yeah. and play, which you mentioned earlier. Yeah. How has, um, how has your routine uh, changed and how's your relationship to rest changed since becoming a parent? Yeah. I used to not really understand when people with little kids would be like, oh, I don't even have time to cut my fingernails or something. Because I would be like, well, I don't have time to cut my fingernails either because I'm busy working on 20 million projects and I'm a baller. And I'm like, <laughs> I, like, why would I cut my fingernails? But <laughs> now I don't have time to cut my fingernails, but I also don't have time to work on one project and it's not like kid busyness isn't busyness it's just living like you're in the moment so much I keep changing my mind about this it's not like difficult it's not horrible um like people say it's horrible I still I've never thought it was horrible to do care like all this care um But for like, I feel like the first year of my son's life, I thought it's wonderful. Like my loneliness is gone. It's Mm. so gratifying. I love it. I only have a few hours a day to draw, but like I get so much done in those hours and I've been, I've cut out all the busy work of my work. I'm not sending emails. I'm not doing like boring freelance anymore. I'm just doing exactly what I want to do. And this is a great life. But like as time has gone on, I I miss the structure. I realized I haven't gone out to see a friend in a long time. Like I haven't wanted to have friends in a long time. And that's because I haven't, I told myself it's because I had everything I needed, but really it's because I haven't had extra time in the day and I need to prioritize my work. And I realized like not sending emails has had consequences Mm -hmm. and like I need more time. And this is I'm not at all angry at the kid. Maybe if I had two kids, I would be angry at both of them. But like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not angry at the kid. I'm angry at the structure in this country where 
child care isn't a given. Um, and it feels very tenuous. Obviously, there are bigger picture solutions that would lighten the load, that would give us all time back, uh, which I personally think are worth advocating for. At the same time, you and I are people in the world who are living this reality like day to day. And so there's a there's part of me that's like, well, we also can't wait right, for those yeah. solutions to come down and for that change to pass. And so in the absence of that, how do you manage that? Are there things that you do for yourself, like ways of kind of finding moments of calm or peace day to day or week by week? I've had like in the past month or so, I don't, I don't know what made this happen for me. Partly it's that I realized I hadn't been selling cartoons much this year and realizing that I've, it's my fault. I've been doing bad work. Um, but I've been, I've been kind of militant about taking time back for myself lately. So I stopped walking my dog. My, mm. I have a really nervous and nippy dog who like can't be walked by a dog walker. So I was taking an hour and a half out of my day every day to walk her and combination jog for me and walk for her, but much more time consuming than just exercising would have been. Um, I like feel so bad keeping her in the city. It's so unfair to her, but I realized I was like sacrificing my own life to her and that wasn't fair to me. And I've been insisting that my husband take pick my kid up from school a little more often from daycare. And I've been, I was picking my son up from daycare like way before it closed because I think that's better for him. And I still feel weird about this, but I'm picking him up right when the school closes to buy myself an extra hour and a half every day. And I'm cutting back extended family time. I decided that extended family sometimes is a bit of a conspiracy to isolate women. I don't know mm. if that's true. It's a really, <laughs> it's a really intense feeling. It sounds like you're setting boundaries. Like to me, all of these kind of fit that theme of going, you know, what do I need? And then how do I protect it? Um, yeah. Or facilitate it, right? But mm -hmm. but a lot of what you're talking about is like, you know, saying no to things and mm -hmm. calling in for help when when mm -hmm. needed, um, yeah. which, yeah, is like essential, right? Like many of us can't access those moments of calm without saying no. You have to say no to something in order to say mm -hmm. yes to like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to do this thing for myself. Yeah, I think I realized that some of the things I was doing, like I'm luck lucky enough that I don't actually have to do them. I, I also stopped cleaning the house. I was the only person doing any cleaning and all these errands and all this management. And I've just realized like the house can get dirty. That's a sacrifice worth making. As I've been researching for my book, uh, one of the things that has come out is just how much of our approach to rest, how we naturally kind of relate to it, is informed at least in part by the role models in our lives, our, our parents or our caretakers. And as I'm hearing you kind of share where you're regaining time, it's like involves saying no to a lot of things. And I'm wondering if you think back to your childhood and to your parents or other important figures in your life, if there were lessons that you feel you were learning from them about rest and work and household management, the things that you were doing that feels like, oh yeah, I might've like partly picked that up from them, like their approach to work or rest or these other things. Do you see a connection there? 
Yes and no. I think I'm like the only type A person in my family in a certain way. My dad was mm. a doctor and he worked really, really hard, but I I wonder if he just fell into it. Maybe he was type A of it. By type A, I mean like a compulsive worker. Which mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what type A really is. But um, so that's the way I feel different. Like I am kind of obsessive about making sure the house is clean and that the dog is walked and that everyone is happy and and that I work. So these are all like things that I, yeah, I don't think my family has any of this like they're much more easygoing. But <laughs> I grew up in a pretty gendered household and I never I never saw my mom not like it or and I never saw my dad not like it, but looking back, my mom did not like it. Mm. She left her career to marry my dad and like I think she felt pushed into it by various parties including just society. Mhm. And including the fact that she was an architect and she made such little money that she didn't have like a leg to stand on in arguing that they live between the two places of work. And also it was hard for her to climb the corporate ladder in architecture, partly because Mm -hmm. she was a woman and I think she felt a little disgruntled. Um, And I don't know, she did, she did become an artist, which was great. But I I also just think like she should have had a more hopping career as an artist and it, it wouldn't have happened this way if if not for sexism and it could have been better and it, it was complicated I I think she probably would have liked to not be the default parent although she also loved it and she was such a loving mom and it was really good for me um so yeah that's what I was raised with she like she made all the food she was the host she was the social secretary when you think back to your mom being the social chair of the family and taking care of the kids and putting her career aside and um doing the extent of you know tidying and 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 all of those other things like when you think about your relationship to those responsibilities I'm kind of hearing you say a little bit is like you maybe had been doing all of that and now are starting mm-hmm. to push back against that yeah. a little bit. Is that a fair assessment? It's really weird because like, I think in to some extent I've been conditioned to do all of that. I've definitely been conditioned to like offer people a drink if they come to my house and like clean up after people in a way that I would, maybe my brother wasn't, although he, I don't know, or I guess my husband wasn't. My brother wasn't, but because of that, he's like an excellent host because he comes at it with joy. And I'm like a very grudging host mm. because I'm like, don't make <laughs> me do that. But yeah, to some extent, it's conditioned in me. But to another extent, I just feel like I've never wanted to to run the household. And yet I've, I seem to have like, I seem to be battling it in a way that is baffling to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. but I don't know if that's like because of how I was raised or just a strange coincidence. It's interesting. I feel like a spy. Like I'm not, I, most of my friends are not dealing with this. My, my friends who are women or my friends who are men, like most of my friends with partners and kids are, have much more like equal relationships with their spouses and have it all figured out in a, in a different way. Hmm. 
the skeptic in me is like, I don't know if they have it all you figured don't out. <laughs> okay. Well, just, I, I mean, I, I, that I makes me feel better and worse. I'm, I don't want to knock your friends and maybe, they, mm-hmm. maybe they do, but I just always, uh, yeah, I feel like this stuff is so insidious. It's so, it just creeps in. Like when you were saying like, oh, I don't know if it's how I was raised or, you know, something else. I was also thinking like, it's also just like, it's the air you breathe, right? It's, it's like, this is the culture. Like even, even if you were raised in a very progressive household, like you're also seeing the same Disney movies as all the other kids. And guess what? Like, right. Yeah. So there's just, I don't know. I, I think it's very hard to, to have the ideal version of this, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I give kudos to anybody who does, but I also think like, yeah, well, I think a lot of people probably are struggling with this. Um, mm. But I did want to ask, just we have a few minutes left, um, like, is there someone in your life who makes you feel rested, who amidst all this stuff, are there, is there someone's company, you, you know, some of us have that person where you go, oh, I have such a grounding presence, or I have a conversation with this person, or maybe it's an energizing effect, right? Because I think rest can kind of work in both directions. Totally. Yeah, does someone come to mind? Um, I will say that my husband makes me feel that way when I'm not, like, cleaning up after everyone. Like, he's very um, – he lives very much in the present, and that's what I really like mm. about him. And he likes mm. to spontaneously start dancing. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> it's also nice to see friends and talk about stuff and feel like you're not alone. Yeah, yeah. And can you remember the last time that you felt really, truly rested? Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. I'm tired lately, but it hasn't been constantly tired since the baby was born. There have been moments. I feel like it's like 50-50, like there's a good month and a bad month. Mm-hmm. In the sort of like lead up to feeling rested, are there things that are happening differently? either because you're, you know, changing something or just circumstances are changing that are leading you to like, oh, okay, now I can relax. Yeah, I think I'm just thinking about sleep. I know that I'm tired if I'm grouchy and like think everything's Mm -hmm. going wrong. It's interesting. Like I used to, tiredness used to be a physical feeling and now it's a mental feeling. Oh, yeah. I mean, (laughs) I I feel like it's like such a, a huge like mood booster when you get sleep and then like mood killer when you don't get sleep. (laughs) Yeah. Like you're two different people. Yeah, totally. And you had said earlier that you thought of rest also in terms of play. And I wondered, I wanted to hear more about that before we wrap things up. I'm feeling like I'm getting a lot of play now. It's been, that's been good. Like these changes that I made with being a less good person have really paid off. I'm making better work. Is play for you, is it like through the the art process or is it like I go read a book or I go do a crossword puzzle or something like that? It's a bunch of things. For me, it just means, I think, not being efficient. So oh, mm-hmm. um, I've been working in cafes again for the first time since the pandemic started, basically. I'm just like letting myself take the extra half hour of like, walking that it takes to get to and from a cafe and I would never have let myself lose that half hour until I decided to Mm. change things and and like spend the extra money and I saw a couple friends in the past couple of weeks which also felt unheard of like Mm -hmm. I used to see friends only when I felt really obligated and 
I've decided to ask people if they want to hang out and just lose my evening and it's okay. Um, I like that building more efficiencies into your, into your day as a, just giving, giving the system a little more flex, a little, a little bit of space to breathe. Exactly. To wrap things up, I invite Liana to answer a few final rest questions, lightning round style. Okay. First question. What keeps you up at night? Oh, it's always scheduling stuff. It's like, oh my gosh, I, I don't want to, oh my gosh, I planned three things next in two weeks. And also day, I realized there's no daycare on this day. I need to cancel one of them. Which will I cancel? Well, like, should I cancel it right now? It's like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How about, um, when do you feel most at ease? I like parties, weirdly. I like really superficial small talk and knowing that I'm not going to be seeing this person again for a while. So I won't have to deal with the consequences of the terrible things I said. (laughs) Okay. What's your rest emergency break? Something that you do when you feel like you're approaching burnout and need to kind of like pump the brakes. I go for a run. To be fair, I'm a very slow runner in case people hate me. (laughs) How about if rest were a season, what would it be? Winter. And last question. What's something that's inspiring you now? Um, I just discovered this podcast that's new called Time to Lean with Laura Danger and Crystal Britt. And they're practitioners of this um, movement called the Fair Play Method that was Ah. founded by Eve Rodsky. It's about household labor. It's a little like it's triggering because it's hard to think about this so intensely, but they're very they're so smart and it's really helpful and lovely. Wonderful. Well, Liana, thank you for playing our rest lightning round. And thank you for (laughs) a great conversation about, you know, all things rest, work, creativity, parenting. Um, I feel that we were very efficient in this conversation, but also that we gave ourselves space to, to play a little bit. (laughs) Hopefully you feel the same. You're such a good interviewer. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Special thanks to my guest, Liana Fink, for the time and thoughtful conversation. If you enjoyed today's episode, hit the like button on Substack, drop a comment, leave a review, or share it with a friend who might enjoy it too. Stay tuned for my upcoming conversation with writer, dancer, and author, Cody Cook Parrott, where we talk creativity, sobriety, and rest. Rest Easy is a podcast hosted and executive produced by me, Jimena Vinguichea. It is story edited by Mia Lobel and produced by Paola Vinguichea. Yes, we are related. My family is multi-talented. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can subscribe to my newsletter at jimena.subsec.com for more episodes and writing from yours truly. Bye for now.